Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. It's always good to have a challenge. So I'm going to give you a challenge right at the outset because what I want to share this morning is something that applies to every single one of us. But before I speak, I want you to turn to the person next to you or near you and say to them something that is going to be encouraging. All right, just a sentence to encourage the person next to you. Hopefully that wasn't too difficult. Did anybody say to you, you look beautiful this morning? Anybody say you look handsome? Well, I hope you had some encouragement. Because I want to share with you something this morning that I'm simply entitling, How to Handle Discouragement. Every one of us struggles with discouragement from time to time, and it seems often that as Christians... God allows us to go through times of discouragement so that our faith and trust in him can be strengthened. Discouragement is not easy to live with. None of us like to feel discouraged. But we're all very familiar with it and we know those times when we feel and experience it. I once heard a preacher describe discouragement as the devil's can opener. Um, you know the old type of can openers? You have these things that you pull now. And when you get older, they're harder to pull. You know? But the old can opener, and this preacher said, discouragement is like the devil's can opener. He opens us up with it and pours out all our faith and courage. And that's exactly what discouragement does. It's designed to empty us of courage. And some of the greatest men and women in the Bible faced massive times of discouragement. So we are in good company because some of the great heroes of faith in the Scripture all experienced times where discouragement really got to them. Let me give you a definition, just in case you're not sure. Okay, dictionary definition, it's a loss of confidence or enthusiasm, dispiritedness, or to deprive of courage. In the Bible, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the word was related to harvest, and it literally meant to cut down. So when they would go out in harvest in the old times, they would cut down the sheaves of corn, and it has that kind of connotation or meaning. There was a pastor who was very diligent about visiting people in his church. But there was one lady, Mrs. Adams, who he really struggled to visit because whenever he went and visited her, he came away feeling terribly discouraged. Because every time he made a visit, she would go through the same thing. She would tell him all about her ailments, all her aches and pains. She was quite elderly, and so she had lots of things that she struggled with. And whenever he went, he would hear all the same thing over and over again, and he would come away discouraged. So one day he thought, well, it's about time I visit Mrs. Adams, so he popped in to see her, and sure enough, she started. Told him about her hemorrhoids, her ears that would leak and all the horrible, gory stuff. And 
he just, oh, and he tried to be polite, yes. Next to him on the coffee table were some peanuts. And without thinking, he just, every now and then, would take a handful and, oh, yes, sister, I am. So, oh, that is awful to live with, you know. And by the time she got to the end of rehearsing all her ills and all that she suffered with and, and all the bodily functions, when she had finished, he finished the peanuts. And he felt terribly embarrassed. And he said, I am so sorry. I've been so enthralled with what you've been telling me, sister. I've absentmindedly eaten all your peanuts. She said, don't worry, pastor. Don't worry. It's fine. Since I lost my teeth, all I've been able to do is suck the chocolate off them. We won't dwell on that too long. Turn to Numbers 21. Some of you are feeling awful, aren't you? You see, when you're a pastor, you do have to go through lots of things. Numbers 21, I want to turn you to an experience in the lives of the people of Israel where they became discouraged. I'll put the key verse up on the screen for us, just so that you can see it. But let me just read from Numbers 21 and verse 4. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the soul of the people became discouraged because of the way, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here, nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna or bread. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to him, Make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to the pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This is the first symbolism of Jesus being placed upon the cross. When Jesus is lifted up, he says, I will draw all people to myself. There is healing through the work of the cross. And this was a symbol in the Old Testament of what Moses had to do that they might be healed. But it's this little line here, the soul of the people became discouraged because of the way. They're on a journey. They're on a journey out of the 420 odd years that they had been slaves in Egypt. God had miraculously set them free and Moses is now leading them towards the land that God had promised. But we find on this journey they frequently face discouraging circumstances. At this particular time there was no water. Other times, they met with people who were hostile towards them. There were rebels within their own ranks. There were people who murmured and complained. And there were those that even said it would be better to go back to Egypt. So they constantly faced things that were discouraging to them on this journey. The Christian life is a journey. From the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior to that day when we will stand in his presence, we are journeying. We are like pilgrims on a journey. And this journey is an experience where you will face numerous times of discouragement. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. There will be times when you are tested. There will be times when you feel like giving up. 
There will be times when you are tested. There will be times when you are sorely discouraged. But all of that is approving of your faith. Peter puts it like this. Be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purified gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. How many of you get excited when you are tried and tested and discouraged? We don't. But Peter tells us this is a process. This is actually something that God uses to strengthen and develop our faith. Paul puts it like this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then John says, every child of God overcomes the world for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So the stronger your faith is, the more triumphant a life you will live by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know a Christian who right now is suffering great persecution. At times this person is filled with suicidal thoughts because the discouragement that they face is so deep and so painful. But I know that God is going to bring this person through because their faith is secure in him. And they need encouraging, but they will come through this trial. Now, discouragement often comes when people disappoint us. When our expectations of others are not met. People we thought we could rely on suddenly let us down. People we thought who were journeying with us walk away. And invariably, discouragement comes when people don't measure up to the expectation that we have of them. This church has had a lot of discouragement in the last couple of years. Paul alluded to that just a moment ago. And the devil has done his best to empty us of our faith and to attack many people and to say it's time to quit. You might be right at the point now where you are feeling incredibly discouraged. But I want to tell you, out of 48 years of ministry, pastoral ministry, this church is no different to any other. Billy Graham once said, if you find the perfect church, don't go and join it because it will no longer be perfect. Some people say the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but you've still got to mow it and the dog will still mess on it. But sometimes when you're in discouragement, you think, well, let's just walk away. Let's find a better circumstance. Let's find a better situation. But I want to tell you, the devil will never stop trying to discourage you because he hates the church of Jesus Christ. So folks, discouragement is here to stay until you stand in God's presence one day in heaven. Because the enemy will never give up because he will do all that he can to undermine the church of Jesus Christ. But here's the good news, he will never win. 
Because Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will never be able to stop it happening. So you're on a winner. But let's look at this just for a few moments this morning. How do we handle discouragement? Because tomorrow morning something will happen. You're going to work and something will happen that will discourage you or a neighbor will come around. You and I know that discouragement is there all the time. So how are we to handle it as the people of God? A few things to tell you this morning. Okay, number one, know that God has got a plan for your life. Scripture says, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You are not an accident going somewhere to happen. I sometimes meet people and they say to me, I was a mistake. My parents made a mistake. You are not a mistake. God planned you before you were conceived in the womb. God knew about you before you ever existed. This is what the Bible teaches us. David said, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. God is a man with a plan. And he's got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for each and every single one of our lives. And the best way to handle your discouragement is to know that actually God is in control. Job face some of the greatest discouragement. Read the book of Job. You will discover the discouragement that he went through. But he said this, for the life of every living being is in God's hands and the breath of every human being. You see, God had a plan for the people of Israel. God knew exactly what he was doing with them. God knew the journey that they had to go on. And despite their discouragement, his plan was never going to be thwarted or changed. And whatever discouragements you and I might face in our lives, none of it is ever a surprise to God. He knows all about it before we ever experience it. And nothing can ever happen to you that is outside of God's purpose for your life. If it did, he would not be God. Listen to this great scripture in Ephesians. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, God decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved Son. I want to tell you, you can handle discouragement when you know that God's plan and his purpose is for you and your future is in his hands. Job said, God controls my destiny. So we all need to remind ourselves of this, that Life is just not a random happenstance. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, he says, I know the plans I've got for you. And when you trust him, knowing that he knows the future, you can handle your discouragements. The second thing that's important is this. Know that God's word cannot fail. Scripture says in Isaiah, the grass withers 
and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We live in times where people have replaced truth with values. But the problem with values is that they change. If you follow the money markets, you will know that the value of the pound goes up and down all the time. What you value today, you might not value tomorrow. In the early part of the last century, sexual morality was a value that many people held on to until the 1960s and the age of promiscuity arrived so that the value of sexual morality suddenly was thrown out of the window. And we have all sorts of problems that, of course, we face with and are familiar with today. Truth, unlike values, does not change. Truth is truth because it's true. And Jesus told a story once to help us to understand the difference between values and truth. And he told the story about two guys who decided that they wanted holiday homes by the beach. And one guy valued the opportunity and the ability to get out of his house, to run down the beach, and to go straight into the sea in the morning. So he built his house upon the sand. You and I know that sand is always moving. It's like values. They change. Whereas the other guy, he built his house upon the rock. And Jesus said when the storm and the flood came, the guy who's built his house upon the sand, it was washed away, but the one who built his house upon the rock stood firm. And Jesus said about the rock, those who hear my word and obey it are like those who built their house upon the sand. You see, the word of God is true. The word of God is not a value that is here today and gone tomorrow. The word of God is a foundation of truth. And when you build your life upon the foundation of what God says, you have a firm foundation that will withstand every kind of discouragement. So what's the foundation of your life like when you face discouragement? If you trust in the truth of God's word, you will have a foundation that will be unshakable. And this is what the people of Israel had to learn to do. They had to learn to trust in what God had said. They had seen incredible miracles in the deliverance out of their slavery and beginning their journey towards the promised land. And the greatest miracle of all probably was the parting of the Red Sea. I'd have loved to have been there to have seen that. Wow. And to walk across with great walls of water either side. And it wasn't frozen water, it was water water. And they walked through. I mean, that was a wow moment. And they learned to hear God's voice. They became aware of God's presence. There was a cloud leading them in the front and a fire behind. And, and it was there day and night guiding them and protecting them. Amazing. And they came to trust God's word. But the moment discouragement came, that often went out the window. Let me tell you some things that God says in his word that you can take hold of as your promise and as your foundation when you face times of discouragement. First of all, the Bible says, 
If God is for us, who, what, can be against us? The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil is like a roaring lion. He goes around prowling. He's out to attack you. He's out to discourage you. But the Bible says, greater is he. That indwelling presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is greater within you than anything that goes on in the world. Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday and he's going to be no different tomorrow. God will not wake up tomorrow morning and have a headache because he doesn't sleep. He won't wake up and have a bad mood because he's not like that. He is consistent. He is eternally the same. He is without change. Therefore, I can depend on him. I can rely on him. I can trust in his word. It will never alter. He said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. With God, all things are possible. By grace, we have been saved. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They are just a few well-known scriptures. There are loads of others that are simply there to enable us to realize that God's word will not fail. And as I make it the foundation of my life, then whatever discouragement I face, I will be rock solid. The Christian apologist Ravi Zachariah, I, lo I love some of the things he says. He says this, One of the greatest failures of our generation is not living out the biblical precepts which we so clearly articulate. I thought that's so true. We come here on a Sunday and we sing these amazing biblical truths. These precepts, these principles, these foundations, we sing them out, we firmly believe them. But do we live them out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in the rest of the... That's where it really matters. That's where we've got to apply the truths that we articulate so well. It's in the practical, daily experience of each and every one of our lives. Okay, finally, know that God's got a plan Know that we can rely upon his word, but the last thing this morning is know that courage comes from faith and fellowship. Writer of the Hebrews says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I love that statement. Because we all carry the responsibility to look out for one another on a daily basis. That means maybe sending somebody a text tomorrow or making a phone call or saying, come on, let's meet for coffee this week or perhaps sending a card. It's about thinking of others on a daily basis because it's always today, isn't it? You don't live in yesterday, you don't live in tomorrow, you live in today. So the writer says, encourage one another all the time, it's called today. And we carry that responsibility on a daily basis. When you are discouraged, you've lost your courage. Therefore, we have to be encouragers. That's why I said at the beginning, say something encouraging to the person next to you, it's not difficult. Science has studied geese, 
particularly geese that, that fly long distances in times of migration. And they fly in this V formation. And some of the things that have been discovered through scientific research is that often they fly in the V formation because they set the strongest one at the front. Those that are strong enough to face and deal with turbulence and the others kind of funnel along in maybe the slipstream. And then they, they do a change. So after a while, when one has led for a time, another one takes the place and is at the head of the V formation. But then something else research discovered is that while they're flying in that V formation, the leader's at the front, the others are following, and the others are honking. They go, uh -huh, uh -huh. and they honk to encourage the leader to keep going. Who are you going to honk at this week? You see, we're on a journey. And Satan is going to be there to trip you up. He's going to be there to discourage you. So you need to send a honking text to somebody or make a honking phone call. Say, come on, I'm with you. Can I pray with you? Can I stand with you in this? You see, the geese have got it right. The others honk encouragement to the one who's up front leading the way. As a church, you need to honk at Terry every now and then to encourage him as he carries the responsibilities as the elder of the church. Is that right, Terry? Indeed. Indeed. But we all need to be those that are speaking words of encouragement to each and every one because it's out of our fellowship, it's out of our relationship that we continue to journey successfully together. There was a woman who came to Jesus on one occasion. She'd suffered terribly with hemorrhaging for 12 years. She spent all the money she had on doctors and couldn't get any better. And one day she knew that Jesus was in town and she simply said, if I can touch just his garment, I believe something will happen. And she pushed through the crowd very privately and very quietly and she reached and she just touched his garment and instantly she is healed. Jesus turns around, says, somebody touched me. And the disciples said, Jesus, what do you mean somebody touched you? There's a massive crowd, loads of people are touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me because power went from me. And this frightened little lady came to him and said, Lord, it was me. And Jesus said this, daughter, be encouraged your faith has made you well. Our faith is powerful. Our fellowship is needful. It builds courage. It enables us to keep going. The people of Israel had to learn this lesson. They had to learn that they needed each other. They had to learn that they needed to put faith in the God who had delivered them from Egypt and would surely fulfill his promise and take them into the promised land. They wasted 40 years going round and round in circles because they allowed discouragement to get the better of them. But some of them made it in the end because they trusted the word of God. One final thing this morning. Courage comes from staying in touch with one another. You see, the Christian life is not a life that you live alone. None of us are called to kind of live an isolated or an insular Christian life. We need 
one another. We need fellowship. Relationship is important. The church is described like the human body where we are related and connected to one another. And the writer to the Hebrews, he gives some final words of encouragement when he simply says this, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his returning is drawing near. That was said 2,000 years ago. The return of Jesus is much nearer now than when they were speaking those words. But we need to be people who encourage. So I want you to turn again to the person next to you and simply say this, I need you and you need me. Go on. Because that's the truth of church. And I want to set you a challenge like Paul has set you a challenge. I want to set you a challenge to encourage somebody every single day this week. Because probably for many of us, we won't see each other until this time next Sunday. But we're all going about different situations. We're facing various challenges. Paul faces the challenge of building loads of houses somewhere here in Hampshire. Others of you face the challenge in the classroom with children, you're trying to educate. Some are happy, some are sad, some come from very difficult backgrounds. You've got that mix and you're trying to help these children to learn in the midst of all their emotions. Others of you are stay-at-home parents raising children and do an incredible job. All of us will be doing different things, meeting different people this week, but I want to tell you things will happen that will discourage you. You know that. That's why we need one another and I want to simply set you a challenge to make sure that every day you go out of your way to encourage somebody else to keep going knowing that Jesus is with us can we stand together thank you for listening father we thank you that the only way we increase our faith is by going through difficult circumstances we know that we never learn about faith on the mountaintop it's always in the valley but you promise that you'll never leave us. You'll always be with us. And I simply pray, Father, for each and every one of us that in this week we will be encouragers. Despite discouragement we may face, that, Lord, we'll take our eyes off ourselves and we'll look at you and reflect you to others and to speak encouragement and faith to others on their journey so that together, Lord, we will know how to become strong and to fulfill all that you've called us to by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all.